Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 48, produced 29 December 2017. Scotland is a musically rich and diverse nation, and Scots have contributed greatly to all genres of music, from classical to traditional, pop, rock, fusion, jazz, and more. The live music scene is very much alive and well there, from Cayley bands performing at local pubs, to newcomers and legends alike performing before sold-out crowds of thousands at festivals like Tea in the Park, Perthshire Amber, The Celtic Connection, and others. When it comes to music in Scotland, there is no more an iconic instrument than the Great Highland Bagpipe. I'm Glenn Moyer, and in a moment, we'll talk to one of Scotland's premier young pipers and enjoy some of his new original music when Doogie the Piper is my guest here under the Tartan Sky. Caught up in the mystic and spellbinding saga that is Outlander? Wishing you could be swept away over the sea to sky? Why not come and visit Claire and Jamie's world? It's a land of standing stones, shimmering lochs, and great glens that stretch to the horizon and beyond. Outlander, whether in books or on TV, is Scotland. Come and visit the breathtaking landscapes, walk the historic castle grounds, listen for the skirl of the pipes through the thickening mists. You can travel through time when you visit and experience Scotland. At just shy of 26 years old, Doogie McCants, Doogie the Piper, has been playing the bagpipes for more than half of his lifetime. He took his first lesson at the tender age of nine prior to joining a pipe band organized by a colleague of his father's. He went on to join the National Youth Pipe Band of Scotland and might have gone on to become just one of many recreational pipers, playing music after hours as his day job allowed until fate came along with different plans. In 2007, a group called the Red Hot Chili Pipers emerged on Scotland's crowded musical stage after winning a TV talent show, When Will I Be Famous? Three years later, the band was ready to embark on its first international tour, and Doogie was asked if he'd like to go along. Having never looked back, he's now toured the world, and the Chilis, known for their fusion of bagpipes with classic rock and pop tunes, creating their own musical genre they call bag rock, are, well red hot. Recently, Doogie has taken the step so many musicians aspire to, namely writing his own tunes. Though still a chili, he's stepped out from the comfort and security of being just one of the band to putting himself front and center as a solo performer. His debut album, Composed, is his first step down a path that no one really knows where it will lead. 
While I had the pleasure of first seeing the chilies at the Corn Palace in Haddington, East Lothian, on a cold December night in 2014, I only met Doogie last March, St. Patrick's Day to be precise, when the chilies performed for the first time in my state of residence here in the USA at the River Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. With nearly four decades of difference in our ages, I can honestly say that Doogie is one of the most genuine and engaging young people I've met. Our conversation, meant to focus on his new album, lasted more than 90 minutes and somehow was as much about his getting to know me as my getting to know him and his music. And speaking of music, one of the things I wanted to know from Doogie was, why now? Why step out as a solo act with this album at this time in an already successful career? I've named my album Composed, and I, I just felt like I was at a stage in my life where I have, like, as you said, I've, I've performed worldwide. I've played on three studio albums, and I also played on a, a track that was in the DreamWorks film How to Train Your Dragon 2. So I just felt like I was at a, a nice stage in my life where I had written some tunes and I just wanted to showcase, like maybe just like showcase myself as a musician and having like the power and control to just let people hear my own tunes and my own style of music and my own taste. So that that, that was the reason. I mean, I'm, I'm still doing the, the Chili Pipers, but yeah, it was just to just to get my own tunes. Uh, I've got a lot of sort of piping influences. I don't know if you've heard of Fred Morrison, but uh, he was... Laura, he lives in Bishopton, and that's where I was brought up. And I used to, when I was learning the pipes, I used to try and play Fred's tunes. He played them a lot quicker than I could, but I used to try and play along and go and see him in concert. And he really just plays his own tunes as well. So that sort of influence towards me just wanted me to sort of follow his career and follow his path. In the liner notes, and I want to go back a little bit into from where you are at this point in your life to your previous or your earlier years, in the liner notes, you say that your dad took you to your first bagpipes lesson at age nine. Was that his idea? Was it your idea? What brought you to the pipes initially? Uh, it, was a, it was like a strange story. The, at my dad's work, one of, the, one of the security guards was starting his own like pipe band. And it was just purely out of, out of I had nothing on that night. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll go and try this. And it was Johnston Pipe Band at the time. So it was a local pipe band and it was a novice juvenile sort of age. So it was all guys and girls at the similar age as myself. And I just I just took a big spark to it and really enjoyed it. And uh, I've not looked back. So it was, that was 2002. So I've been playing the pipes for just under 16 years now. And yeah, as I said, it was, I just really enjoyed it. I put the PlayStation down and just picked up the chanter and, <laughs> and I, 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 I'm still really bad at FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that you say in, at, at nine years old, you had nothing on that night. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the well, social I, butterfly, I think, are I think you? my dad just wanted me out the house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned that gentleman uh, and, and I will admit, no, I've not heard, but then I'm only, I'm a relative newcomer to my Scottish heritage and my, uh, appreciation of Scottish music and, and of course, bagpipes. Although my mother has told me since, she says, I've always loved the bagpipes. I thought, well, why have you never introduced me to it? Because we never listened to being in America. We never had an opportunity in Texas to grow up listening to bagpipe music, but I was really shocked to, to hear her say that. But who were, uh, who were some of your other influences uh, beyond learning uh, the pipes initially as you grew on into your teens? Were there others that uh, were influenced uh, your style and your learning to play? 
Yeah, well, as I've been like brought up in Glasgow, the the traditional music scene you could say is fairly huge. It's fairly uh, broad as well. And my mum's cousin uh, is a founding member of a band called the Tannehill Weavers. Oh yeah, his name's Phil Smiley, and he play he plays a whistle. He was uh, one of the founding members of that, and. I, I was brought. He, he, I remember him bringing a, a penny whistle round to round to the house one day, and this was before that I picked up the chanter, and he gave me a wee a, a, a wee book and a wee a wee penny whistle, and I, I I just started learning tunes on that, and I guess it just evolved from that. From then, you go onto YouTube. Uh, it's quite lucky that we get to have all these fac- facilities online now that you can just a couple of clicks on a button, and then you can be watching a video or watching a tutorial. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I started learning the penny whistle, and then I got into the chanter. And there's also a, a great influence of mine, Gordon Duncan, who uh, you've probably heard of. But sadly, he's no longer with us. But he sort of changed bagpipes from, you could say, from boring to cool. I, I don't know if you can say <laughs> that, but it, he he almost changed changed the tradition from uh, you have you have your like your formal march trespass and reels or your pibrucks. And then he started introducing a lot more light music, like your reels and your jigs, your sort of faster, upbeat sort of dance songs. And yeah, I, I really liked his album or his first first album that he released as soon as I first heard it. And there, there's so many people. Ross Ainsley's another one who he, he's just brought out his own album, which is which is excellent. And yeah, I mean, there, there's so many bands and great pipers and pipe bands as well in Scotland where there's an endless sort of opportunity to listen to. It's interesting you mentioned the Tannehill Weavers, because if I'm remembering correctly, that was, I think, the first band that Doogie McLean joined. Yes, yes. Well, at uh, least yeah. one of the first. I remember, I think I recall him telling me the story when he was on the show um, that he was approached at a festival somewhere one time, and they said, hey, Doogie, do you want to join the band? And and he sort of said, yeah, I picked up his uh, at that time, I think he was playing the fiddle and picked up the fiddle and ran away with the band. Yeah, 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 yeah. But and, and they're they're still touring. I think they've just finished a tour of of North America. They they seem to be traveling all over the place. And I think the band's been going for, I, I want to say around thirty years. Wow. So wow. it's great what they're doing. Yeah. Like, Were there other outside of traditional Scottish music and bagpipes? Uh, what other music did you listen to growing up? Who, who were the um, the bands that maybe have influenced that. Yeah, out, out with traditional music, I just listened to sort of mainstream pop. You could say when I was when I was growing up. So, um, like Ed Sheeran, for example, he he was a a singer songwriter who I, I, I'm really fond of. I like a lot of his songs. Biffy Clyro, another Scottish band who they're more rock than pop, but I I grew up listening to 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 them. Well, so when then did you start, when did you start writing your own material? Has this been something that's been ongoing for a a while or is this a fairly new venture for you? I started writing my own tunes around maybe four or five years ago. Some of them you couldn't even call a tune because it was just notes dotted on a bit of paper. But I remember Ed Sheeran uh, had an interview once and he was saying it was good to write a bad song because hopefully... uh, a good one follows after that, but it definitely took me more attempts to, to or, or more trials to get a good tune. But there's a lot of experimental work with with writing tunes. Sometimes on the bus home or the train home, I, w- I would sing like a wee melody into my head 
and <laughs> as embarrassing as it may be, sometimes I used to uh, record on my phone like the me singing the melody, and then I would go home and quickly write it because I would just forget otherwise. But and it's tune writing is quite strange. Is I find it pretty difficult to just sit down and force yourself to write a tune. I think you need to have some form of influence or be at a time and place. It just helps evolve the tune. Something that sort of inspires the, the thought process. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. The songs that are on this album, have they been in the works for quite some time? Or once you made the decision, I'm going to release a solo album, uh, did you then say, well, then I guess I better sit down and start writing some tunes? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, most of the tunes I wrote around between two to one years ago. So, so then, uh, yeah, I, the first time I ever like showcased a tune was there's a, a competition called the BBC Young, uh, BBC Radio Scotland's Young Traditional Musician of the Year. Yes. And that was in 2017. I decided to go in for it and I made it through to the semi final. And to get to the final, you had to host your own sort of 10 minute performance in front of a judging panel and an audience of a, a, around 100. And I mean, I did that last year. I was really nervous. It's it's strange. Uh, like the transition is very strange from being in a band to just being exposed yourself. But I decided to play on the semi-final a couple of my own compositions. And the feedback I received from like the prestige judging panel was all positive. And, and that sort of gave me confidence into starting my own album. Well, now I've seen that video. I'm surprised to hear you say you were nervous because I didn't sense that in watching the performance. And certainly with your time <laughs> on stage uh, with the with the Chili Pipers, how, how could you I be get, nervous? Uh, nervous, Glenn. I try and hide it up by by talking really fast and talking really loud and dancing <laughs> about a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you hit it beautifully because I certainly didn't sense that you were nervous. I think it's a great performance. Um, which of the tunes that are on the CD would you say reflect most one of your musical influences then? Well, that's, that's another good question. But the every tune that I've sort of got on the on the album is written at a different place. There's if, if you look in the booklet of my CD, you'll see a lot of tunes were written up in the Highlands. And I, I just I just find that really inspirational. Just when you're driving along the country roads and you've got all the mountains either side of you, then I, I don't think there's a better place to be. If, yeah. Providing the weather's nice to you. Providing the weather's good. But a lot of the tunes were written up in a place north of Fort William called Malig. Yes. Actually, I don't know if you've heard of the, the Harry Potter train or the Jacobite train. I have been on the train, indeed. I know it well. Have you been on it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, well, that goes, as you'll know, from Fort William up to Malig. And the my girlfriend's family all live up in the Highlands, so some stay in Malig and others stay just outside called Morar. And uh, my girlfriend's aunt... Uh, she, has, she owns the West Highland Hotel, so that's right next to where the Jacobite train comes into the station. And her her grands, both of them have like huge houses. There must be, well, like American sized houses, probably about uh, <laughs> ten bedrooms. Oh yeah, we all have ten bedroom homes over here. <laughs> and you have ten bedrooms, an attic, and a cellar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the uh, so 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 uh, Ailey's gran has a, a house about a 12, 10 to twelve bedroom house 
overlooking the the sea and even being up there it's such an inspirational place and I, I will, there, there's not much phone service though so it may have been a different story if if I had if I had my phone but <laughs> uh, I'm very lucky that my my phone wasn't working because uh, I I'm, I'm I've written some tunes up there that, that that I've made onto the onto my album it's interesting you mentioned that because one of those tunes is probably my favorite track on the album uh, called Silver Sands. And I think you'll recall I shared on Twitter when I first got the pre-release copy of the uh, of the CD that I was really enamored of that track. And, and I was reading, as you said, in the booklet where you talk about how uh, your girlfriend's grand's place there in Malig influenced uh, the writing of that tune. And for me, it took me right back to my, my first visit to Scotland in 2014, which was inspired by my falling in love with the television show Monarch of the Glen. So I was determined that as a part of that visit, I was going to go to Glen Bogle, where the, the TV show was filmed, which of course is the Ardverki estate. And there on the estate is Loch Logan, which has the longest inland beach in Scotland. And I was a guest in one of their cottages, and I had the beach entirely to myself. I was there for a week and spent a few days really reflecting on... Uh, just sort of being amazed and sitting there thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm in Scotland.
that song, the first time I heard it and read your inspiration for what uh, helped you to write the tune, took me right back there. And I, I can't listen to it now without remembering um, that time spent by myself, but uh, really reflecting on my heritage and how much I was falling in love with Scotland there on the, the beach at Loch Logan. So well done, uh, you. Yeah, that's, that's nice to hear. I, thanks for that. I mean, when I do write these tunes, I... I do hope to to bring a taste of Scotland to like other countries or wh- wherever people are listening to it from. But the the Silver Sands, it's there's a famous beach just outside Malig called the Silver Sands of Mora, and that's where I, that's what I named the track after. So if you, if you're at the Silver Sands, uh, it it the beach is all like white sand. It, it feels like you're in the Caribbean if if it's nice and sunny. But yeah, that, that that's what that's what I did write it. You've got the Silver Sands and there aren't many houses around. It's all little cottages, exactly as what a lot of people would imagine Scotland to to look like if they've never visited it before. Oh, that's brilliant! I'll, now I have to put that, make another trip to Malig to, uh, exactly. to go see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you bet. I, I want to talk about some of the other tunes, and we're going to mix into the podcast as we go some of these tunes so people can hear them. But we can't let you go without talking about your time, of course, with the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Um, and I guess the first thing I'm curious about is, were you an, an original member of the band or did you come into it after it was formed? Well, the, the band started in uh, around 15 to 20 years ago. So I, I was probably about oh. 15, 10 to 10 years old, but so I, I wasn't an original member. The, the band started as like a group of five students at the time they were just studying and they were just looking away of getting sort of extra pocket money or or, or drinking funds, you could say. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they, they just went around doing weddings, and the then 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 they formed the name the Red Hot Chili Pipers, and in two thousand and ten they went on. Oh no, it was two thousand and seven. They went on a television show. It's similar to like America's Got Talent, right. that sort of thing. It was yeah. called uh, When Will I Be Famous hosted by uh, Graham Norton. Yeah. And then they ended up winning that. And so from 2007 onwards, the, the booking started coming in and they got they got a lot busier. And I joined the band in 2010, just in time for their first ever sort of big tour. So I left school halfway through my final year to start this six-week German tour with the band. And I, I, I've not looked back since. It's, it's been keeping me busy and keeping me out of trouble, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was curious because I was in doing some some reading and research. I came across the fact, and I'm I'm wondering if if any of the the guys in the band ever wonder what might have been because that was a show where um, you were put in head to head competition with another group, and there were like a hundred and one pre assigned judges who voted you on. It wasn't like uh, like America's Talent Got Talent where there's call in voting and that sort of thing, and the Voice and those types of shows, um, and and the Chili Pipers were advanced from the first round by a vote of 51 to 50, 51 to 50. You know, there might not have been, uh, I might never have heard of the Red Hot Chili Pipers if, if not for that one judge who threw things in your favor. <laughs> exactly. I know I, I might be studying uh, maths or, or something like that. Yeah. Elsewhere, or or I, I could be stocking shelves on your, your local Walmart. You never know well, if it wasn't for that one judge. Yeah, or, or maybe your your local Aldi, I guess, over there. But. <laughs> yeah, life, life could be a lot different, my friend. It could exactly, be. Exactly. Uh, you, you, could say, you could say the thing about the band that the, the name, the Red Hot Chili Pipers, 
it's definitely in their favour, I think, because people will be intrigued to to hear what what they are like. Are they a tribute band to the Peppers or uh, is it bagpipe band? You never know. So that I, I think the name encourages people to start doing research or and start looking into it a bit more. What is life like as a member of the Chili's? Give us a little behind the scenes because you tour the world. You you've seen to some amazing places and met people all around the world. What's that lifestyle like? It's uh, don't get me wrong. It's it is quite challenging. With the the hardest part, I think, is is the sort of time zones. Sometimes we fly from Scotland into another country, whether it's America or Hong Kong, for example, when you need to go straight into a show. And but every show we play, I, I, as you've probably seen, it's, it's very energetic, and the guys always put one hundred and ten percent into to every performance they do. So. It's, it does put a lot of strain on your body. It, it definitely is a, a sort of younger person's lifestyle than than like an older person, I, I, I'd imagine, just because it's it takes out on your, your body so much. But when people come and pay money to see you, I think it doesn't matter how many there are in the audience. It's, it's still special that people from all over the world still come and, and support the band and support live music. It's something that you, you, you can't beat and, and we're always very grateful for. As an older guy, I take exception to that, although you're right, I probably couldn't live up to the pace that, that you guys go through, when, especially when you're on tour. And your comment about the smaller crowds is interesting because um, uh, I've had the pleasure of seeing you, uh, the band, originally in Haddington um, in 2014 and then just a few months ago here in Louisiana. At your, really, your, it was your first gig ever in, I think, the state of Louisiana and in Baton Rouge. And I have to say, I was a bit disappointed because it was a, it was a small, it, it turned out to be a great evening because it was a very small, intimate concert. Yeah. Um, and yet it was a crowd of only perhaps a few hundred to maybe uh, certainly less than a thousand people. I would say maybe four or 500 at most. And I kind of wondered what, how did you guys, when you walk out on stage and you see, I, I, I have no clue of what you might've been expecting, um, if perhaps you expected a crowd of that size, that it was your first time, especially in the deep south here in the U.S., where uh, we don't have the huge Irish and Scottish festivals, perhaps like they do up north. That's, that's interesting you say that because we 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 are uh, always grateful uh, playing bagpipes anywhere uh, outside of Scotland. Uh, it's, it is very difficult to to for people to come out and listen to bagpipes because when if people haven't heard of the band before, they might just think it's a pipe band that are there. And that might not be as appealing to like the Red Hot Chili Papers where you're playing pop songs or cover songs on the on the bagpipes. But yeah, we, we, we'd never been to Louisiana before. So for us, it was the first time being there, visiting the place, checking out the sites and then playing a, a show at night. And the, the word intimate is very good but, uh, and it fits that gig perfectly. And we get to not only like play a show in front of like a crowd of people, we get to like, like, I mean, a, a, a vast crowd. We is if it's an intimate show, it's like we're we're we we're understanding their character and learning a bit about them as well as the, them learning about us. And the, the bigger the crowd, the atmosphere is always a lot better. But sometimes people come to a show, or, uh, a theatre show, for example, and just sit down and soak in the music rather than soak in the atmosphere. So it's, it's great for us. I th- I think if 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 we played like. Um, shows every night and it was the exact same crowd, the the exact same sort of venue where it's a theatre for example the shows might not be as the standard might not be as good because guys not be, might 
being into it. I think the variety uh, is definitely great for the for the band and for individuals. It keeps it interesting for us. Well, that's good to know because as a fan of the band, I was a bit disappointed and, and I thought, oh, come on, guys, we should have been able to generate a bigger crowd than this. But as we talked offline earlier, a couple at the table with me had bought tickets mistakenly thinking they were seeing, they were getting a great deal on tickets to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and yet they stayed. They were intrigued enough to keep the tickets and come to the show, and I, I can tell you uh, that I know for a fact they were terribly, terribly uh, impressed with the music and had a really great time that evening. Yeah, that, that's, 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 that's nice as well to hear, and hopefully they tell their friends and their family, and, and next time we come back to Louisiana, there might be a, be, be a bigger crowd. Uh, if we if we always hit a new territory, we we never we never sort of sell out or pack a theatre. It does take a couple of trips back until you build up a loyal fan base, or or or, or like mo- more fans come and see you, the more times you you go and play there. Well, it's it's all about building family and fans, I suppose, and uh, and you guys are great at that. I think it I think it helps when we do go out and speak to fans because the the gigs that we played in America. Like example yourself, if if I if I bumped into you in the street, I would I would know you straight away. And there's a lot of people like that, and I've built up or we've all built up a lot of friendships and and friends throughout the world. And that's that's partly because we go outside and speak to them after the show. And it, and so it's nice having having like fans that come and see you again, and it's nice having fans that have never seen the band before. It's it's always a friendly environment playing a show in america when you guys do a show afterwards you always do come out and spend time with the fan anyone can walk up to you and say hello and get you to sign an autograph take a a selfie whatever i know when i first saw you in in haddington i won a meet and greet through an online contest you were running but then i i discovered after the show that you guys come out and talk to almost anyone and everyone that wants to chat anyway um, and again, you did that in, in Louisiana, which is where you and I had the chance to meet. We'd met online um, prior, but it was great to be able to, to say hello in person and start up a friendship. Um, and that's a really unique thing that, that the Chili Pipers do. I've been to a lot of concerts through my years, and I don't know that I've ever seen another band do that and relate with their fans in that, in that manner. That's, that's quite unique to you guys, and I applaud you for it. Hey, thanks for that. But we, we really like coming out and and speaking to speaking to fans and people who still support the band or, or like have have never seen them before, but I, I spoke to a, a young boy once or his dad, and he was saying that uh, this was the the young boy's first ever concert, and then that inspired him into to wanting to learn the bagpipes. So so he, hearing that sort of story and and other stories similar, it, it makes it all worthwhile. I think for us. And if if we're away for from home for more than I don't know, say, say it's a six week tour, we're away from home. It could it could be a very sort of lonely lifestyle, but getting the opportunity to come out, speak to new people, and and make some friends from all over the world, it it definitely benefits us, and it, it doesn't make us as homesick. And the thing about Americans is that they're very friendly and and welcoming, and I I think they want to learn more about. Scotland and speak to Scottish people. Sometimes the Americans are fond of the, the accent. <laughs> <laughs> we are. <laughs> if, if it wasn't for us going out to meet and greet the fans, then we wouldn't have the uh, the friendship or the vast friends that we that we do. It's funny you mentioned the accent because uh, a quick side story. I two years ago I announced my first ballooning event over in uh, in the UK down in the south of England. 
And uh, I had a lovely lady, young lady, come up to me at one point on the stage and say, ask if she could take a selfie with me. And I said, well, of course. And, and we were taking the picture. And then she turned to me and she said, can I just say you have the loveliest accent? <laughs> and, and I'm in I'm in England where I'm thinking all of you guys have the accent. I really don't keep, keep talking. Just keep yeah, talking. just keep talking. Keep talking. And, and I'm the same way about the Scottish accent. I love the Scottish accent. And uh, but that was that really struck me that that I was the stranger in a strange land, and I had the accent uh, to to her ear. And so that was quite a moment. And I'm sure you guys get that a lot. In fact. I was watching a video you did. I think it was at the Milwaukee Irish Festival, and you're on stage. And the first thing you said is, "I will speak very slowly so you can understand, so you understand every word." <laughs> <laughs> but even when I said that, Glenn, some people still give me strange look. Like, what, what is he saying? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of uh, Scottish TV, and one of the ones I enjoy is uh, River City, which is a soap. I know, but I like it. And the accents on that are very heavy at times, and, and even sometimes, fortunately, because it's uh, on iPlayer where I can go back and, and rewind sort of. Um, sometimes I have to listen to something two or three times to catch exactly what they yeah, were saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is a Scottish accent, but no matter, like if, if people are from different cities or different towns, there is different accents to yeah. follow. Uh, yeah, you may have to watch River City with the, with the subtitles on now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not, 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 only, not only have you got to, to sort of translate it but there's some words or scottish words where you've probably you might have never heard of before that you, you they won't be in the dictionary yeah only scottish understand it i think it, it's funny too that uh, a lot of times on twitter when they uh, post uh, or facebook when uh videos of nicola sturgeon are posted and there'll be english subtitles and i just find that hilarious but <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I guess they're needed. <laughs> I, w- I want to get back to the album a bit. Yes, and sure, yeah. family features into your songwriting, I know. And probably my second most favorite song after Silver Sands is Leaving Home. And I was struck by the story of your writing that for your sister. To me, it's a very evocative. And, and I know as uh, as I dream of immigrating to, to Scotland, um, I know my sister, when and if that day comes, will be both overjoyed for me because she knows it's what would make me happy, but I know it will break her heart to see me leave uh, leave home. And I have to when I listen to that, I, I sense that I feel some of those same emotions uh, from you. Tell me a little bit about writing that song. Yeah, yeah, when, when I wrote this, uh, it was for my my twin sister Heather. She got a job with Emirates as a, a like an air stewardess, so she's now living out in Dubai. Uh, so I, the, the the tune "Leaving Home" it's 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 a sort of like happy sad tune you could say because I, I wanted it to be like happy because I I was really like pleased and proud of her getting a job as yeah. uh, for Emirates, especially like a it's a like one of the the most like prestige sort of airline that you can get. And it's it's very difficult to to get in. The interview process was was really really long, and the the details they went into was really uh, it was to a great extent. But I was really proud of her and chuffed that she that she got the job. But I mean, I I, I knew that I, I wouldn't get to see her every day. I I, I knew she wouldn't she wouldn't be back uh, every month. It might only be once every three four months that I would get to see her. And yeah, I I wrote this leaving home. It's, it's more of a sort of anthem as well, because if you listen to it from the start to the finish, I wanted it to build up to it, so, so it's like a continuous build throughout the tune. 
I have a background in radio and television, and I envision a great music video because I, I see the, the parting scenes of the brother and sister saying goodbye or the two lovers saying goodbye and the, the time spent alone and away from each other. And then, as you say, though, the song builds to a really happier ending where you can you almost can envision you know, a, a Skype, yeah, a Skype call or a reunion type thing. And, and you see the, the the couple, whether it's brother and sister or whatever, coming together and, and rejoicing in each other's company again. I think there's a great music video to be done there. And when you do that video, you can just give me a wee credit. <laughs> it might be expensive, though, Glenn, if I, if I have to fly out to Dubai for the. <laughs> well, well, well doesn't, she, doesn't she owe you a first class flight? I think I read that somewhere. I, I will. I was. I was hoping this tune did get me a, at least a business class flight, Glenn. But yeah. it's not. It's not going to be anything yet. But maybe if if you play it on your show, then you know I, I'll, I'll share it with her, and 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 that 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 might uh, encourage it a wee bit more. There you go. Well, if that's the case, I need to see if Emirates flies uh, from anywhere in the states to Scotland because I'm coming back over in August, and, and I could use a flight myself. <laughs> you've got the, you've got the Silver Sands to come and see. Well, absolutely. So I I need a flight myself. So we got to make this a two for buddy. <laughs> this could be a win-win situation here.
Family features in another of your songs. It's a tune called Kathkin's Tune, which I understand you named for your mom and dad, Catherine and Kenny. Yeah, yeah. Well, my mom and dad have been really supportive for, for when I first had my my, like, my first bagpipe lesson throughout the, the journey, and they still are to this day. I remember they used to take me every weekend to solo piping competitions, and then, uh, then after that, I joined a pipe band, so... Then I had to go to practices. So I mean, each week I was out of the house four days out, four days out of the week, and I I couldn't drive. So they were taking me, waiting on me, and then taking me home. So they had not only did I have to change my lifestyle, they 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 changed theirs to suit mine, and I, I'm always appreciative of that. And if if it wasn't for them, then I, I wouldn't be in the position I would be in now.
I noticed in, uh, again, looking through the liner notes and the credits on the album, I guess I was a little surprised, actually, that none of your fellow Chili's are musicians that performed. I guess I kind of half expected to see Alan McGick's name there. Was was that something you did intentionally to, to separate this album from the band? That's exactly what it was, yeah. So I, I, as this is like a, a, a solo album, so I had full control here. I didn't want to release an album with the, with the Chili Pipers playing as uh, like as the backing musicians because then that would just look like the Chili Pipers minus the other two bagpipers. I, I, I wanted to um, like personally handpick each musician and then go together to a, a, a rehearsal studio environment and then start arranging with them. Well, I'm I'm disappointed. I never got the phone call. <laughs> I never knew you played the bass or the trombone, Glenn. Well, you, you, you keep all of this quiet. You keep all of this quiet. Next well, time you're going to have to do the next. I'm going to have to do another one now to get you on. Yeah. Well, I I, I can share a secret with you. When I was over in uh, in September, uh, I stopped in and saw our, our mutual buddy Craig Monroe at Wallace Bagpipes. He gave me a tour. And I noticed that one of the things that you do is beyond, I mean, it's not like you don't live a busy enough life as it is, but you also offer tuition or lessons online and in person. So um, I got to tell you, Craig gave me uh, my own wee chanter. So maybe uh, maybe I can get Alan to give me some bass lessons and get you to give me some pipe lessons. And maybe that Chili Piper kilt is in my future. <laughs> it definitely is. I mean, you may not be in best hands if I'm teaching you, if I'm teaching you the bagpipes. Glenn, but <laughs> oh, come on now! <laughs> no, I, I, I do I do teach uh, like um, beginner bagpipers uh, through Skype. So I've got I've got a few pupils from Germany, one from Switzerland, and uh, one from America as well. But it is, it is pretty difficult trying to manage the my own time and then find a suitable time that suits them in their own time zone yeah yeah but, but, but I mean I, I do I, I do make it work it's it's something that it was difficult when I when I first started but I've been teaching for over four years now so it's it's um uh, everything's possible is that important to you to sort of give back to the the musical community I I really enjoy teaching I feel like everything that I've learned I, I want to share with everyone else I don't want to just keep things in there's there's no point of learning something, keeping it in your head, and then and no one else gets to gets to sort of enjoy it. So I I, I, I like sharing, no matter what it is, unless it's chocolate cake. I I, I might keep that for myself. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll make a note of that next time we're together. Uh, <laughs> the way to Doogie's heart is chocolate cake. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, there is. Another tune on the album that I particularly like, as I said, I fell in love with Scotland and really started to explore my Scottish heritage um, because when I fell in love with the TV show Monarch of the Glen, and mm-hmm. uh, and I've I've got the soundtrack CD to that. There's some some great. Uh, they're all shortcuts because it was background music for television. It wasn't a, a real album per se. But the final tune on your album, the Heather, has a great bouncy feel to it that reminds me so much of the theme song from Monarch of the Glen. Is there a story behind uh, writing the Heather? The Heather, the the first tune, uh, the, the first tune was inspired from the the paper I was talking about earlier, Fred Morrison, because he he plays a lot of tunes and the, the similar feel. I just wanted to to write something like that and. The, the middle tune is written by the fiddle player Graham Rory 
and he, he he just wrote that tune when we were in the rehearsal studio, and I, I really I really liked it. And enjoyed it. He's a great, talented fiddle player, so we, we it worked well together. Throwing the first tune and the second tune, and then I, I wrote the last tune. Do you know I, I I wrote it in about fifteen minutes. I think if uh, when you're writing a tune, if you take longer than I know, say an hour to write a tune, then it's not worth your while. Sometimes you can hmm. go back to it, but if you're still taking too long, it's it's not worth your while because tunes should be like instantly recognised. Uh, and you should be able to almost sing a tune back st- straight away if, if if you enjoy it. But yeah, the, the the Heather that was the the last tune was just written. I wanted to just write a bouncy, catchy, nice, happy feel feel to end the to end the album.
it's a wonderful album. I, I love all of it, but um, that one, as I say, it, it holds a special memory for me. And, and I'm sure other people who listen to the to the CD will find the same thing. They'll find things about each tune that that relates to them. And I think that that speaks to the quality of the music and, and your songwriting, my friend. Right, thanks a lot. That, 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 that's the reason that I I decided to go with a, a booklet inside the sleeve just to not not only give people an insight into my own tunes and my music, but they can read about where they come, where they came from, and why I wrote them in the first place, and what that influence was. So hopefully, that the, when the the audience listen to it, that they'll feel the same sort of emotions that I felt when I was writing them. Yeah, as we've discussed, you've had many incredible experiences traveling the world and playing music. And you talk about your most memorable one was uh, performing with Ed Sheeran, who you mentioned as an influence too. But the one I'm curious about was your role as the lone piper at Edinburgh Castle for the video that the band did, 343 The Fallen, uh, which is a beautiful and emotional uh, tribute and tune, I believe was written by uh, fellow piper Willie Armstrong, wasn't it? Uh, but the, the the tune itself was written by a guy called Roddy McDonald, R.S. Oh. McDonald. But but Willie was a, a firefighter, and right. he organised a lot of the the sort of video, and the, he put up the the sort of GoFundMe page to to raise money again for the okay. the 9/11 firefighters. But yeah, so Willie was a fellow fireman. Yes, yes, I knew that he was uh, in the fire and rescue corps. But I, I'm curious from your standpoint. That had to be a, a very moving experience to be there on the Castle Palisades, uh, being in the role of the of the Lone Piper for a young Scottish man playing yeah, the pipes. It was, it was what very, an it was iconic very emotional moment as well. Because uh, when when I was in recording the the solo pipe at the start of the track, it was uh, I was just feeling all the emotions from the, the firefighters that had all passed away and gave up their life to help others. Um, and 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 then I got uh, a phone call to ask if I'd, I'd like to go to Edinburgh Castle, the most iconic place in Scotland. I I, I think anyway, and play my bagpipes there. Walking up the, it's at the top of the Royal Mile, so just walking up under the bridge, it was, it's, it's a great feeling. Even if there wasn't, because you you know the Edinburgh tattoo is 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 um, performed there every yeah. year. Yeah. For a month, I, I felt like I was in the Edinburgh tattoo, but there was no one there watching me. <laughs> but you know, it, it was it was quite it was um, it was a great honor to be asked to to play a part in that in that video in the tribute. Well, it, it's a beautiful, moving tribute, and and the video is well well done. But I, I just had to think, as a young Scottish man, um, that at that iconic location and and being the lone piper, that had to be quite a moment for you. Yeah, yeah, I'll always look back on that. It was, it was it was great. It was very cool, Douglas. Yeah, because we had to film very early in the morning because they wanted to just to film the the sort of sunrise. So I had to get in my bed at about half past four thirty five a.m. to to drive from all the way to Edinburgh. But it was very cool. But no, it was really it was well worth it. The all, all the work that everyone put into it was 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 was, was very great, and um, hopefully it it did touch touch some some people. I'm sure it did. A lot of people would say you've got your entire life still ahead of you. You've lived quite a life already with the amazing experiences you've had. What do you hope is in the future? Yeah, well, someone asked me that. Someone asked me this question when I was 17. So I had just left school and joined the Chili Papers. And then I 
as I said, I went on their first German tour for six weeks. And when I come home from that, um, one of my, my friends were asking me, so, um, so what are you going to do now? And then uh, the, my diary started filling up with gigs. And then I just I just done the gigs and then tours came in. I started doing the tours and now eight years on and I'm I'm, I'm still asking myself the same question. What am I going to do? But I'm, I'm enjoying my life so much performing to people and and uh, I mean, I, I like challenging myself. So I put myself forward for that competition last year and then I started doing my, my own album. Now it's out. So I, I don't think there's a straight answer to it. I'm, I'm just enjoying myself too much to to to, 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 to think about my what I'm going to do because I just I enjoy performing and gigs don't get booked five years in advance they always get booked one year sometimes two years so my my, my I, I know where I know whereabouts I'm going to be next year for, for some of the months but it's um I'm, I'm still enjoying it so I, I'll keep it going for as for as long as I can I think Glenn. My sincere thanks to my guest, Doogie McCants, for finding the time in his incredibly busy schedule to chat with me and allowing me to share with you some of this truly exciting album, Composed. The CD is available on Doogie's own website, doogiethepiper.com, as well as on iTunes. And I hope you'll check out the show notes to this episode on our site at www.underthetartansky.scot, because in addition to our usual links for more information, you'll find a bonus track from the CD, Kingston Road, that Doogie has transformed into a beautiful music video filmed at the Cloisters of Glasgow University. There, we'll also share the Chili's 343 9-11 tribute video that features Doogie as the lone piper at Edinburgh Castle. One thing in Doogie's future that has changed since we recorded this interview, his girlfriend Ayla is now his fiancée, the couple announcing their engagement just after Christmas. My congratulations to both. Next time, after we ring in the new year, we'll learn all about Scotland's first and only community-owned distillery, Glen Wivis, when we talk with its founder, John McKenzie, the Flying Farmer. And soon thereafter, we'll explore all that's involved with 2018, Scotland's Year of Young People. More about that next time, here under the Tartan Sky. For now, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapalev, Agus Alpha Cabra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glen L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, tartansky. And thank you for listening.